All right, let's look in 1 Kings, and we're going to begin uh, to look at the life of Elijah the prophet. And he occupies the rest of the book. You see him most of the rest of the book and into 2 Kings. And I'll just tell you, if you read your New Testament, you'll understand the New Testament a little bit better if you get a little more familiar with Elijah because he keeps being referred to. Jesus referred to him. Some of the other apostles referred to him. John refers to him. So it's a good to be familiar with this Old Testament prophet for the sake of your New Testament reading. And then also just to see how he's a man of God and, and uh, how, what, he, what, what we can learn from him today <clears throat> just in the Old Testament. And tonight, <clears throat> uh, I want you to see, I'm not going to get into, break down everything, but I'm going to refer to most of chapter 17. Uh, there's more ways you could preach the messages and there's other messages. It's really amazing uh, occurrences that happen. But what we'll do for us, our time at first here, is as we begin, go to chapter 16. And we're going to read verses 29, and then we'll just read the first verse of chapter 17. Okay, so chapter 16, verse 29, through the first verse of chapter 17. And we're going to show you kind of our focus here in just a little bit. Here we go. <clears throat> this is the context of Elijah, the day and age he lived in, who were the leaders and what was going on. And it says, chapter 16, verse 29, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and, uh, and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In his days did Hael the, Beth, the Bethlehite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn son, and set up the gates thereof, and his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua the son of Nun. Now, notice this, <clears throat> Elijah, chapter 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And we'll stop right there. This is, I love, the more I've looked into this, the more I really like Elijah. I like him because he's not like, um, uh, he's, he's really kind of a nobody. And we'll see that in a little bit, and God made him a somebody. Let me read this to you as we begin as an example, just to get you to know, kind of know where we're going tonight. There's a pastor that um, in, some, in many ways we could share some, uh, we share some doctrinal commonality and 
not in everything, but certainly in the gospel. Some of you have heard of John MacArthur. He's a pastor in California, Grace Community Church, has more of a Calvinist position, but he's strong on preaching the gospel. And so let me read you a few things that happened to him. I think it was this last year, maybe the year before. Um, the church he pastored, Grace Community Church, got a lot of criticism over the years for their views on women preachers, the charismatic movement, and religious freedom, which we share those views. In 2020, when California issued a strict ongoing lockdown orders during the COVID-19 pandemic, his church, like many of ours, complied with the first rounds of lockdowns, but eventually uh, in, began a gathering in person, his church did engaging in a lengthy legal battle over the issue which, threatened the, uh, which the state, state threatened to jail him as a pastor. Eventually, California and Los Angeles County agreed to a settlement with Grace Community Church in which the government officials paid $800,000 in legal fees to end the litigation. Last September, John MacArthur sent, I think it, was, it would have been this last year, maybe the year before. Last September, here's what I want you to see. This pastor sent an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom, an open letter. Here's a pastor confronting a leader, denouncing the elected officials' use of the Bible to champion abortion. He's using the Bible to say, I'm a champion of abortion. And here's what he said to him in an open letter. This is public confrontation. I think they may have even had billboards. You quote, this is pastor to the governor. You revealed to the entire nation how thoroughly rebellious against God you are when you sponsor billboards across America promoting the slaughter of children whom He creates in the womb. Quote, You further compounded the wickedness of that murderous campaign with a reprehensible act of gross blasphemy by quoting the very words of Jesus from Mark 12, 31, as if you could somehow twist his meaning and aggregate his name, arrogate his name in favor of butchering unborn infants. I'm glad he said that. Aren't you glad? And so we stand with him on that. I'm like, yay! And so it's like, we need a few more of these. You want this pastor to be that and as much as I can, Right? And then we need to be like that. That's how Elijah was, you know, but even in a greater way. You know why? Because he didn't know what kind of crowd was cheering him on. He may not have had any that he could hear. There were some hiding in caves that did when they heard the news. But he was, by and large, pretty alone, very much alone. And, but he was a con here's a preacher confronting the president, you know, type of thing. All right, so let's look at this. this here's what I'm going to tell you the message is about. Okay, the message is this: Elijah's Elijah's uh, life says something about God, and what it says about God is that God is a confrontational God, God is a providing God, and God is a life-giving God. That's what you discover in this first chapter. Elijah's life says something about God. Here's what I mean: Elijah. L is God. This is the Hebrew, and I'm not an expert. L, it's not the article for Spain in Spanish. It's L, God. It's generic for ruler, the master, the great one. Who is ruler? Who is God? Yah. That's the shortened version of God's personal name. Jehovah. When he was born, his parents named him God is the Lord. The Lord is God. You could say it either way. We're going to call this guy, this little guy's name, that the Lord is God, not 
Baal is God. See, he was named in a timely fashion. Because look at this day and age when he lived. Look at what it says in chapter 16, verse 29. In the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, this is the southern kingdom, tended to be a little better, began Ahab, the northern kingdom, the wicked ones, the son of Omri to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in, in Samaria 20 and 2 years. Look what it says in verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. This was an evil day. This was an evil day. What, what are the evil things that we are, do you remember what we read that he did? You're catching, you're cat, paying attention there. What did he do that was so evil? Said Ahab's an evil guy. What's so bad about him? Who he married? Jezebel. Married Jezebel. Jezebel was, uh, it's not because she wasn't an Israelite, it's because her religion was different. She was from the northern area, the, the Sidonians, and they worshipped, they were kind of coastal people. They had a lot of riches, and they worshipped false gods. One of them was the god Baal. Her daddy's name, it says there, what does it say? Her dad's name was Ethbaal. Her dad's named after this false god. And he married her, and she stirred him up to do all kinds of bad, wicked things. So here's this King Ahab, who should know better, marries this wicked woman, this Baal worshiper, and then he dives into it. Look what it says, Ahab does. Verse um, 32, he reared up a, in, an altar in the house of Baal for, it, for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Verse 33, Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of anger, uh, Israel to anger than all the kings that were before him. And there were so many things that Ahab did that was wicked. It's because he married this, that it made it worse. He could have did it on his own, but he married Jezebel, and it just festered it more. Divulging in the word, he's like, so what? What's the big deal with Baal worship? It would be like this. In reality, there's only what? One God, right? And, but in the Bible, it does say gods, like little G-O-D-S. And sometimes, sometimes, very few times, it means human rulers. But other times when it says gods, it means false gods or Satan. And what the Bible talks about in, when they worship these false gods, Baal and the god Dagon, the Philistines and these other gods, it's basically Satan taking his... Satan taking a, a figure of people's imagination, might have a statue with it, sticking his hand in it and making a puppet of it, and people saying, what, this is the God you should worship. And people were worshiping Satan's puppet God, who was really no God. If there was anything animated about it, it was just Satan. In other words, there was other passages where, I think it was Paul who says, they're actually worshiping Satan. They're worshiping devils. When they worship a false God, they're worshiping devils. And so, but they said this was God. They said uh, they, they think it's a God in that sense. Divulging in satanic worship, Baalism, the God of fertility, the God who controls nature and the, the blessing of rain on crops. That's what they thought Baal was. Now that's interesting, right? Anybody know their Bible? What happens later? What happens later? A bunch of Baal worshipers. In fact, maybe this might be the scene. A bunch of people and the solo guy here. And they pray to what? Baal for what? Rain. Doesn't happen. And he just says one prayer. God said, he said, God, show them so they know. And God sends down the, consumes the 
they prayed for fire, I should say. Then they, then they may have been praying for rain before that because they're in a drought. And he prayed that no fire came. He prays and the fire comes and consumes the sacrifice. Then later on he prays again and it rains. So this is the context is the people of his day are worshiping a false god and the king is leading in it and his wife. He's worshiping the true God. God is who? The Lord. The Lord. Yahweh is God. His life is saying who God is in name and then in, in action. First thing we see is that he demonstrates God's a confrontational God, then God's a providing God, and God's a life-giving God. Let's look at the fact that God is a confrontational God. Look what it says, chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So here's Ahab. He has some... Uh, some, wherever he was at, it was probably uh, in, near Samaria. A, uh, Elijah comes in and confronts him with a thus saith the Lord. Now let's back up. Who is this guy, Elijah, whom God is using to confront? Who is he? He's, only, he's from Gilead. Gilead's on the east side of Jordan where they're at. It's just, they probably, most Bible commentators, they don't even know where it says he's a Tishbite. They don't even know where that town is. Most of them don't. They're like, we don't know this. What is this place? We know where Gilead is, east side. We don't even, he's a nobody. We don't know where Tish, Tishbites lived. He was probably, uh, he was probably a guy who was uh, a little rough looking. You know, maybe um, um, not as, that's probably pretty well groomed and a little too European looking. Um, but, Oh, I know. Let's take a quick glimpse. What might he have looked like? Look at, let's look in 2 Kings 1. Look at, there's a little hint here. This is towards the end of his life when they're trying to find him. Some people are out looking for him. And it says a quick little description about Elijah. What did Elijah look like? It says, um, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, He said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet with you and told you these words? And they said, uh, verse 8, he, he was an hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, ah, oh, this is Elisha the Tishbite. Now, if you said in that day he's a hairy man, it probably didn't just merely mean he had a beard, because probably most of the guys had beards, you know. I was looking at James Harden the other night. You know, James Harden, former ASU uh, alumni from, and now he played for a bunch of other teams. And he's, he doesn't just have this beard, he has this beard like this. I think he purposely wants to make it look you look down a tunnel of hair to see his lips. You know, it actually looks pretty unique. Like that's unprecedented. I haven't seen a beard that just goes like this and like this. It's just he loves that. You know, and so he's getting a little close, but he needs to have a little tunnel like James Harden. And so, so this the Bible says he was hairy. So I'm thinking it was beyond this. This looks probably like a common except for him being a little too light-skinned, probably. This looks like a common guy. He probably real hairy. He may have been letting it go a little too long. Maybe his arms were real hairy. And he had the leather thing. What does it say? He had leather about him. A leather about his, a girdle of leather about his loins. I mean, it sounds a little John the Baptistic. You know, a little Baptistic here on this guy, like John the Baptist type, not like this current Baptist. But, um, you know, so he was kind of a, what would you call this? How would we say this kind of? 
as country boy for Israel, I mean, kind of a backwoods. He backwoods. He's a backwoods kind of guy in an Israeli sense. You backwoods Israeli. So this backwoods Israeli maybe had an accent too. Did you know the Galileans had accents in Jesus' day? They were a little different than the ones in Judas because they could tell Peter spoke a little different when he was down in Jerusalem. But, hey, you're from Galilee. And then so, so maybe he had a little accent. He was east of the Jordan, so may have developed a little accent. He comes in and with his maybe his uh, Gal- Gilead draw, I don't know, you know. Hey, Ahab! I don't know what it's like. But he probably sounded different. They could tell he's from Gilead. And he didn't, he didn't dress in the, the garb you're supposed to have when you go in to meet the Mr. King. Didn't matter. This is what God wants to do. He goes in and he says this simple statement back at chapter 17. Thus, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, isn't just a theory, isn't just a statue, but he lives. There shall not, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. God, through this person who seems just to be kind of a nobody, God through him is confronting this high-ranking official. God's like that, isn't he? It's okay to confront somebody. You know, it's got to be certain scenarios got to be right. It's okay if you like, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. You know, it's okay to be the... Have you ever read the... Isn't there that little book, The King That Wore No Clothes? How many of you read that book? This isn't pornographic, by the way. It's... it's a, it, the king that wore no... How many of you heard of it, really? Who's heard of that book? What, what happens in it? What happens? Somebody tell me. Well, yeah, the king just... Uh, after, he's not wearing clothes. And everybody says, oh, the, the, the king. <laughs> oh, it's such a king. He's not wearing any clothes. Oh, no, but he's the king. And everybody acts like they don't see anything wrong with him. And then there's a kid's like, hey, he's not wearing any clothes. What did you say? I can't believe he said that. He said the truth. This is the guy that's basically the nobody, the little kid that's saying, this king's not wearing any clothes. What he's basically saying is, this king is wicked. And wicked kings and wicked cultures call for no rain from God. And so he said, the Lord, as God lives before whom I stand, I'm serving him, I'm at his beck and call. There's going to be no dew nor rain, but according to my word, and it's linked with his prayer life. So he shows that God is a confronting God. Now, let's just stop. Let's talk about the prayer part. James, I'll refer to it. James 5.17. I love this. At the end of the book of James, James is written to his Christians. And James says to all of us, he says, Hey, is anyone you marry? Let them rejoice. Anybody, you know, uh, sick, you know, pray, call for the elders of the church. And is anybody, you know, um, afflicted? And, and then it says, you know, uh, we should pray and we should seek the Lord. And then it says, you know, Elijah was a man of like passions. Did you know he might got a little, little hot in the head sometimes like you? He may have got a little impatient like you. Uh, he got tired and hungry like you. He was no Superman. It says, James says, he was a man of like passions like you and I. It's like he would, have, he would fit into this church, except maybe a little long hair maybe for us and, and you know, different clothes. But he, his personality, pretty similar. Elijah was a man of like passions like as you, we are yet. He prayed, the Bible says. He prayed earnestly, watch, that it might not rain. Then he prayed again that it might rain. Why did he pray that it should not rain? Why? He was praying according to the Bible. It wasn't being fulfilled. Look in 
And so he says, God, do this. You said you would do this. Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy um, 11. And this is encur- this, on this note, it's, it's encouraging us to pray according to the Bible. God, it's almost like God wants us to see what he says and then tell us to bring it before him and entreat him with it. And in this passage, there's these, there's these moments where God says, Hey, Israel, if you follow me, I'll keep the windows of heaven open. I'll bless your crops. I'll bless your land. But if you forsake me, as it says, Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, take heed to yourselves that, you, that your heart be not deceived and that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That your heart be not deceived that you don't do that. And then verse 17, then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord God giveth you. That's not the only passage, but I'll just make another statement. There's verses like that. I think there's another one in Leviticus and another passage where God says, if you forsake me, Israel, I'm going to turn the faucet off in heaven. Well, they had forsaken. We could back up. The context is, is Omri and this other king and this other king, particularly in the northern kingdom, wicked, 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 doing the sins of Jeroboam. And now there's Ahab. He turns it up. He does the sin, beyond the sins of Jeroboam and marries a wife that helps fester that, worshiping Baal. And so the rain's still flowing. And so he goes to that king, Ahab, and he says, this is what God wants me to tell you. There's not going to be rain except according to when I tell it's going to be raining. And then the Bible says at some point he prayed earnestly, God, shut off the rain. Turn off the rain according to thy word. We believe your word is true and what we need. This is what you spoke upon Israel. And so do thou thy word in some fashion. He prayed for that. You know, it's not, it's not always that things get better at the current state. Sometimes things have to get worse before they can get better. He was basically saying, Lord, make it worse so that we would get better. Because the design in turning off the rain is to get them to repent so that God could bring them back and bless them again. And sometimes I think in our country, before it could get better. Now, we're not exactly Israel, but there's a certain pattern here that it probably will get worse before it gets better spiritually. Because I, sometimes I see that if Christianity um, blossoms, it almost needs to blossom after more pain or even more persecution. Now, that's just the pattern I see in Scripture. I don't know exactly how our future is, but here's he's saying, he's saying, God, uh, turn it off and then turn it on. So he confronts this guy. He confronts him. By the way, let's, let's talk, let's make a few uh, statements here and then we'll go to the next point. The point is, Elijah, here he is, this guy whose name means the, the God is the Lord, not Baal. And he comes and he confronts this guy who's a Baal worshiper, Ahab. And he says, you know what? As, just as surely as the Lord, Yahweh, lives, just as surely as he lives, there's not going to be any rain, but according to my word. Now, in Ahab's mind, if he was a real diligent worshiper of Baal and his wife, they thought, that's no big deal. We're going to pray to Baal. He's the God of fertility and the God of the rain. He's confronting him on the supposed strength of his false god. He says, no, we're going to see this. So this god, the true god, is confronting this man who's worshiping a false god. 
By the way, evil ought to be confronted by us. We need to confront it. I don't know that, you know, I can't, I can't protest every abortion clinic, but we ought to protest stuff like that. We ought to protest. We ought to, we ought to confront evil. We're called salt. We're called light. Philippians says we should hold forth the word of life. If you have a Facebook page, put a Bible verse on there and stop talking about the dumb Starbucks you had all the time. Put a Bible verse. you got time for that. Or put, uh, in 2 Timothy, it says that we ought to preach it because the time will come when people will not endure it, but after their own love, so heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. But we need to be faithful to hold forth that word of life anyways. Okay, so his life, what does is, what is this guy's life prove? Well, his name says that God is the Lord. And it's seen in that God is a confronting God when he confronts Ahab. Secondly, it's seen in that God is a providing God. And again, this is where I'm just going to have to highlight this stuff because you see two instances of God providing. Look at chapter 3, uh, 17, verse 2. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook, Kareth, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he dwelt by the brook Kirith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So this is amazing. Here's a man. He does what God says. By the way, he called himself... Uh, the one who stands before the Lord. That is, he's like, I'm God's attendant, and I'm here to tell you something. And so he tells the message, and he goes his way, and God's attendant is going to get God's provision. He, so, that, so now he's praying for drought, and he's going to be affected by the drought, but God's going to help him through that. Isn't that a blessing? Look, I don't, understand, I don't know when the next economic drought is, or the next you know, physical drought, which usually follows economic. I don't know, but I just want to walk with God and let him... You know, provide for me, and you, and you should say the same thing yourself. So, anyways, he goes and he and so he's humble. This is a humbling way. How many of you want? Uh, how many of you want a, a, a bird come flying and handing you food? You'd be like, where'd you get that garbage? You, last time I saw you, you're eating a dead something on the side of the road. Birds usually don't serve in the first place. They take. When you see birds all pecking at something, like they're not they're not getting a, a meal ready to go take it to somebody. They're devouring something. But God is doing a miracle. God's causing the ravens who normally devour and take, and they're unclean animals for the Jews. They weren't even really supposed to mess with them at all. God's taking that and saying, all right, ravens, you do what I say right now. I already created that nature in you to do what you're doing now. Now let's do something else. God of nature is God, not Baal. So he says, in his own way. Now, we're going to change this. You normally take. You normally are picking and annoying people and all that. Now you're going to pick. Here's some flesh and there's some whatever it was. What did it say? Meat, flesh, and bread. Oh, man. Maybe it's Chick-fil-A. Um, I don't know. Biscuits, bread, and flesh. And they brought it to Elijah in the morning, verse 6 says, and in the evening. That's pretty good. So he had bread. He had flesh, he had the carb, he had the protein, he had the, 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 the mineral water. All right, that's a pretty good deal. Sorry, Samuel, waking him up there. And so, so God's providing for him. God uh, shapes, uh, puts them into action to do his bidding. You know, this is the little thing that, that um, you know, God just has ways of providing, doesn't he? And, you know, we, 
I, I, don't, I don't always presume on miracles and stuff. I, I need to work and presume that God's going to put my natural processes in order. You work, you earn, you go, you buy, you take care of yourself. But sometimes God does unique things to help provide for you, doesn't he? And little things that happened to me, sometimes big things, but I remember just little things. It's been a blessing that I felt like God had a raven for me a few times. Um, there was a few times. And to you, it might be small, but there's a few times where there's this part of the year, November, December, January, February. I have My wife's birthday comes, Christmas comes, our anniversary comes, and Valentine's Day comes all within like a, it's kind of like a two and a half month deal. So I'm like, I got to be on my toes from November 20th to February 14th on my toes. Stuff's happening, okay? And so there was a few times like, man, I, I exhausted my budget on this. My, some of my other extra stuff I <coughs> may have had saved, <coughs> I'd used on different, so I'm like, man, I got, I think it may have been my wife's, in fact, it's probably the first one, I think it was my wife's birthday. I'm like, I want to get something for Deb. And I didn't want to go beyond our budget and do some extra debiting. I'm like, I just did not have any extra cash. I was like, Lord, would you just somehow provide something for me? And I remember sitting outside here, and this guy pulls up, and he had visited this church before. This guy pulls up in the truck, gets out, and he goes, hey, how you doing? I said, pretty good. He goes, hey, this is for you. And he puts like, it was like a $50 bill in my pan. This is for you. I was like, oh, thanks. All right, then. He said a few words and just walked off. And I'm like, well, that's God's raven. And he did that again. He did that another time. I'm like, another, maybe it's the next year. I don't know. But he did it again. I'm like, that's nice having a little raven, you know? And uh, I mean, didn't buy Chick-fil-A with it, you know, the meat and the bread. But, but uh, God was like, cool, I'll get my wife a little something. And that was a blessing. You know, God has his way. God's the providing God. And, 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 um, and so that's, that's, what, that's what his life is showing to these people who think Baal, the false God's providing. No, he's not. My God's providing. He's providing uniquely. And that's who we need to know and we need to love. Number two, that well, he's a providing God. It goes on to say he provides in unique ways through the ravens and then through the widow. Look what it says in verse 9. The word Lord came unto him, saying, verse 9, Arise, get to the Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. <laughs> you might as well have a raven sustain you. I'm not, this is no offense, but you're like, wait, widows in their day, there, weren't, there was not wealth there. Besides the fact that, again, I'm going to have to sum this up. Here he is, if you can imagine Israel, between the Galilee and the Red Sea, he was in that middle spot at this time on the west side of Jordan. He by that brook Cherith, he's fed by the ravens. Now God is saying, go up north into another country between two major cities, the Zidonians. Who did I just tell you was related to them? Jezebel, into their country. And I got a widow woman that I commended to sustain thee. You know, it's a, there's a whole other message we could preach. You know, God had already spoke to a non-Jewish woman who's a widow in another country ahead of time to say, I got somebody coming, you need to feed them. Because God said, I have commanded her to sustain thee. You know, Jesus, as a pause real quick, you know what Jesus said about this passage? Jesus said in his day when Jesus was ministering to Jews and they were all fussy with him, he said, hey, you know, you know, you Jews, you're all fussy with me. You remember when Elijah was in his country and there was a famine? He wasn't sent to do a miracle for any widow 
There was many widows in his country in that day. Wasn't sent to any of them. You know what Jesus was implying? They all had hard hearts too. But he was sent to this Gentile Sidonian. And that's who God sustained him and he sustained her. Jesus was saying sometimes the soft hearts outside the country. He said that and they got ticked off when Jesus said that. Well, that's what happened. Elijah's <coughs> he's up north. He's in Jezebel's country. But there's actually a true believer there in contrast to the rest of the widows who have hard hearts in Israel. And God provides through this widow. And you know the story. She's gathering sticks and stuff like that. And he talks to her and summon up the story. says, hey, I know you're gathering for your last meal, but why don't you feed me first? Sounds kind of selfish, but that's what God wanted him to say. And she says, all right then. Got a little meal, got a little fire, got a little oil, made the fire, got the meal, the, made up, whip up your little batter, cook that thing. And she had already, God had already spoken to her. If we're to believe what the scripture said, God had already spoken to her before Elijah showed up. So she's doing it. And she was, as she, as she went to do it, Elijah said, Thus saith the Lord, the cruise of oil and the meal barrel aren't going to waste until God sends rain on the earth. Now, it's an interesting thing. Who's providing for who now? She decided to provide for him, but he, his God, is providing for her. So, boy, I tell you what, she does that, she does that feeds him, he eats. Next thing you know, son, did you see this? That's sure enough, there's meal in there, there's oil in there. Well, let's cook another one. They made another one, and it went for however many long days were left on that thing. Isn't that a blessing? He's proving to a Sidonian whose other, whose other uh, citizens are Baal worshippers, who think God, their God's provided, he's proving to her that this God in Israel is the true provider. He's showing his life is showing who God is. Does my life show to anybody who God really is, the true God is? A little side here. I get a little bit, I used to think it was cool, but now I'm a little suspicious when I hear like a, some celebrity, I'm just being completely honest with you. I have to think through this, and you should too. If you hear some celebrity who lives a whoremongering life or godless life and then gets up in some ceremony and says, I just want to thank God for helping me. Now, at first it sounds really cool, but you need to, we need to test that. If a guy who's a rapper and sings songs about filthy, violent acts against women that nobody seems to protest, filthy acts about women, gets up at a Grammy and says, I just want to thank the Lord. I thank God. Which God? Baal? Because there's other gods, right? Our life needs to be, our life needs to be showing who God is. Because there's other gods, the God of this world, who can make somebody profitable, who can make somebody, you know, in, to a degree successful. And so here is Elijah's life saying, I'm showing this Sidonian who really God is. And I'm right under the nose of Jezebel's citizens. Right in their face. It's almost like God. You ever, I remember Michael Jordan would come here to the Suns Arena. I saw him one time. And he just humiliated everybody. You know, LeBron James would sometimes do that. He's kind of on his decline. He would go to the away game, and he would just destroy people. You know? And then it's like God's posturizing. Posterizing? Posterizing. God's flexing. Right? He's flexing right in Baal country. He's spiking it, all right, by providing. All right, and so he's a life-giving God, and we'll summarize this too. It says, um, 
the lady was provided for, the rest of the Scripture says. And then it says in verse 17, again, we'll summarize some of this. came to pass after these things that that woman that was provided for, the mistress of the house, her son fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And you go to read the rest of it, it apparently he had died. And Elijah says in verse 18, Lord, uh, what have I to do with thee, or no, she says to Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, give me thy son. <clears throat> and he took him up out of her bosom and carried him up into the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And look what Elijah cries to the Lord on behalf of this woman. Verse 20, he cried unto the Lord, said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Can you imagine this? This guy, he probably already felt a little bad at first. Well, yeah, I'm making her feed me first. And then, okay, she's provided for so he's, he's dwelling with this woman, this widow woman, who's got this son. They're miraculously being provided for, and he's thankful that she, has, she takes God up and has faith in the Lord. <clears throat> Next thing, her son gets sick and apparently dies. It looks like he's, he, he basically dies. And he's like, oh, my goodness. And the woman says, you came here to nail me because of my sin and my past. Is that what you've done? Oh takes the boy, brings him in the room. And, and he, the Bible says he stretches himself on the, on the child three times. He says, Lord, is this what you wanted to do? Lord, did you, did you, mean, to, you mean to slay her son like that? And God revived the boy. God, what God was doing is, is demonstrating that he's a, he's a life-giving God. He stretched himself on the boy and the, the child's soul came back into him. Heard, look at verse 22. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, his prayer. And the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. The boy comes back to life. Verse 23, Elijah took the child, brought him down to the chamber, into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, thy son liveth. Look what she says. Verse 24, the woman said, to Elijah, now by this I know, thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Now, this is interesting. She had responded to this man of God and give, feeding, <coughs> feeding him first the meal and the, from the meal and the, and the oil, and he was fed first. And she, but apparently she's a little bit, huh, is he really a man of God? And this is pretty miraculous, but, mm. but when it gets real personal like flesh and blood, like a baby dies or a child dies. Oh, my baby's dead. Is this why you came to nail me on this? And he's thinking, no. And he comes and he begs God and prays for God and God revives the child. He says, here's your baby back. Here's your boy back. Now I know. I know you're a man of God. Sometimes it needs to be really personal with people <coughs> for them to really latch on to that God is real. That's why we need to make our faith personal to people, life personal to people, a good testimony personal to people. They say, I know God's real. I know you're real. You ever get people like that? I don't think anybody's real. Everybody's hypocrites. There is a lot of hypocrites. But if we have a genuine life and walk with God and we connect with people, they're going to say, you're real. And I think your God's real. And there's a life-giving God in that, in that sense. Here we know our God is a life-giving God in a greater way and that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead. And that faith in Him gives us eternal life. And so, again, I ask the question, <clears throat> what does my life say about God? I'll just tell you something. 
for you, some of you think, well, nobody really knows me. Your life is saying something about God. My life saying something about God. I wanted to say that my God is God. My, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. By the things that come of my life and how I operate. Just end here on a little statement here, a quote. I think I shared this once before. Some of you have heard of Joni Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic. She had a really bad um, swimming accident, had this severe paralysis. I think all she could do is basically move her face and her head. She's been in a wheelchair since that for years now. And I read that she was on Fox News some years ago with, when Governor Huckabee was, on, was a host. And she was on Fox News, and he's talking. Of course, he used to be a Baptist pastor, as far as I understand. And he's talking to her and, and uh, talk, asking her about you know, her accident and what she does and, and kind of how she ministers and inspires people. And, and um, she said to millions of people who were watching it, to him, <clears throat> she just said to Governor Huckabee, she says, I just want my life to be an audio-visual of the power of God. She didn't have much movement. She's dependent on a wheelchair and her husband. And she's saying, I want my life to be an audio-visual of the power of God. And if you look at her life, it pretty much is. Some of the special things that has happened. I remember reading, there's a pastor I know had leukemia, went through several bouts of it up in Idaho. And he says, you know, I read a book by her, and the way he put it, he goes, man, she just kicked me around the block. He felt like a wimp. <laughs> and this guy's a tough guy. This guy literally would ride his bike 50 to 100 miles a day and play hockey. This is who this pastor was that I know. And he said, I read that. I thought, man, she kicked me around the block. It's because she just something about her and her relationship with the Lord, and God's given her grace, and she says, I want my life to be an audio-visual of the power of God. And it is. And I can have that in a sense in my life. And so God is the Lord. What does my name, what does my life say?